When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from the TSL offices in Blacksburg. I'm your host, Evan Hughes. Pleased to be joined right in front of me, Tech Sideline founder Will Stewart. To my right, managing editor Chris Coleman. Guys, it is game week once again. More importantly, though, how did you enjoy your unexpected weekend off? And I'll start with Will because I'm going to save my my thoughts for uh, for Chris in just a moment. The trip to Tallahassee exhausted me. Um, somewhere along the age of, you young people remember this, somewhere along the age of 40 or 45, those car trips start to take their toll like they didn't before. And uh, so we got home late Tuesday night. Then I had to cram five days of work into three days. And then the game against uh, William and Mary. And I just never really got caught up. So I finally got caught up last weekend on just relaxing, being able to, I didn't, I didn't sleep late, but I didn't have to get up early, you know. So, me personally, it did me a lot of good. I'll just leave it at that. So I'm checking Twitter on Saturday morning, and I see a tweet from Whit Babcock, Virginia Tech's athletic director, uh, taking a picture of some fans tailgating in what looked to be Lot One outside of Lane Stadium, and I'm like, wow, that's really neat. I mean, people are still showing up to tailgate and, and showing their support. And then, and then, sure enough, I see some selfies of some pictures of some people and pictures, and there is Tech Sideline Zone Chris Coleman having a great time tailgating on Saturday. So how was your experience? Well, with your call last week on this podcast, I remember that my biggest regret about the cancellation of the game is that we were tailgating. So on Friday, my buddy Jacob texted me came on. Told me to go to the blackboard and tell him tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Why not? So I got up that early that morning, went to the gym. And then when I get out of the gym, Jacob is next to me. And I have warned him, I said, maybe that one might not be the best spot. Maybe you should have come high in that vibe or something like that. But he sent me a, a picture of what that got to and uh, and really take a picture of the cover and everything like that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to flip back out there and poke in. If I see him, then we'll do our show. So, uh, and I went out there and we had a TV and sat out and we walked out of the Tokyo Smoke Show game and parked in another game game, parked in the Georgia game, parked in the Clemson game. It was just like a regular Saturday. Except nobody walked to the door and there was no game. Uh, it did rain held off for the most part. As soon as it started raining moderately hard, we put the tent up and then it stopped raining for the rest of the day. That is that is awesome, and, and one of my favorite things about that picture, if you look, there's a huge lunch pail. Yeah, yeah. it looks to be. Uh, what is that? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's inside is where the TV is, and uh, they'll probably maybe end up building a bar in there. But uh, you know, basically, it's, 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 
as long as we follow for the world and everything like that, and the Hebrews and everything. There's a lot of deep talk, and it's made up just like the most well, it's got some things you can jump in it, some characters, just like the real hard stuff. So uh, I don't know if they'll end up building a bar or that thing or not, but uh, certainly in the fact that people are helping equipment. So that segues into a, a discussion that I know is not on our list today. But the fact that the Hokie Club has painted lines in the in tailgate lots one through five that define how far back in your parking space you are able to put your stuff, extend your table, your little portable bar if you got it or not. So um, that they, they put the lines in for the first game for William and Mary. They were going to refine them for the East Carolina game. Of course, that never happened. Um, we do. We will have an article coming out on that. I mentioned last week on the podcast I was going to write about that, and I interviewed Bill Lanson, head of the Hokie Club. Got got the got the lowdown on why they did the lines and where they're going to wind up and all that. Uh, we are not going to run that article till probably closer to the uh, Notre Dame game. Bill and I talked about it, and he's like, "Hey, can you delay it?" They've got a big initiative coming up. The Hokie Club does next Tuesday, called the inaugural drive for 25 Giving Day. And that's another thing that uh, we're going to have some. Uh, uh, we're going to have an article up this afternoon. Probably by the time the podcast goes up, we'll have an article up about the drive for 25 giving day. So some information about that. Uh, but the bottom line on the, the the lines behind the tailgating spots is the Virginia Tech is looking to define a lane that is safe for people to come in and out, drive their cars in and out, for emergency vehicles to access. And they've been going back and forth on should that lane be 20 feet wide or 15 feet wide. Now, interstates, I looked it up on Wikipedia, so I'll take it for a while. I'm curious here. Interstate lanes are 12 feet wide, a minimum of 12 feet wide. That doesn't mean every interstate lane you see is 12 feet wide, but at a minimum, they're 12 feet wide. So the Hokie Club began by doing 20-foot lanes in in lots one through five. Decided that was a little bit too wide and infringed too much on the parking spaces. And they're in the process of changing those to 15-foot wide lanes, which will give people a little bit more room behind their vehicles. And we'll detail all this in the article. But at the William & Mary game, it was kind of a mishmash. Some of the lots had 20 feet, some had 15. Some lots, lot 5 was even a mixture of the two. So it's all a thing in process, and we'll have an article about it uh, sometime before the uh, Notre Dame game. I will say growing up, we always tailgated in lot 2, and... I can just always remember thinking to myself, though, how challenging it is when you're driving your car and you li- I mean, you've got kids playing football in the street. You've got little, little grills out in the... I mean, it is hectic to try and even back in your car, let alone... That's a process. Yeah. If you get there too late, yeah, it can be a kind of a navigation made. So I, I, do, I do most of my tailgating with friends a lot, too, but I, I do remember, you know, those of you that pay attention, any attention at all to me on the message boards or whatever, or if you go look at my Twitter profile, you know that I've got one of the uh, uh, current generation Mazda Miatas. That is a tiny car. And there was one time uh, last year where I was driving it through Lot 5, and I drove it through a space that was so narrow that the Miata fit, but I could reach out the window and literally just take food off of somebody's tailgate table. So they, they were really out into the... I haven't measured the Miata. It's maybe maybe five feet wide, six right. feet wide. It is small, you know. So yeah, this is a thing. I've, I've I've spent some time in lot two where it's very difficult to, uh, you know, people that show up late. It's just hard for them just to get down the lane and get parked. I will say that my car is there. There's about a hundred yards between my tent and the woods. 
Yeah, we were hyping Smithville last week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we need to go to Chris's tailgate spot once before the football season. Over. We just need to take pictures, document it, get it on the message boards, and really let people know well, what know, it's all about. You know, there are much more hardcore tailgaters as far as, you know, everybody, what people thought. Um, other, you know, people have satellites and things like that. Uh, I don't have anything that fancy, just a couple of cornhole boards. There you go. For the first place. Yeah, the setting is really nice. Here's what I do want to ask you guys. I thought about this, and then and then we'll transition. <laughs> what is the ideal tailgate look like for you guys when you walk up and we're walking into Will Stewart's dream tailgate for a Tech football game or Chris Coleman's? What is being served, and what is what what are the um, cornhole boards? What, what what goes on in the tailgate? You know, I've fought the cornhole boards for an opinion. Um, I would personally rather have a TV. Uh, yes, you know, if, yes. If direct TV would sell like a tailgating market, then you could buy it for like 10 yeah. months out of a year and then return it. Or dish. I'm, I'm a dish subscriber. Either one. Exactly. Yeah. I think that would be great. Because I don't, I don't think, well, my house is, I don't think there's so many trees in my neighborhood. For all I know, for all I know, Dish has it. I've just never looked into it. Um, but I, I agree that television. I, I think <laughs> this is probably poor phrasing, but I think one of the worst things about going to a Virginia Tech game is not being able to watch other college football games. And I've written about this before, you know. Um, as, as when I used to go in the press box and cover games, I thought the worst games were the early season beatdowns of, say, William and Mary, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So you got to be in the press box at, like, noon. You don't get to see any of the new games. You cover the tech game from 2 to 5.30. you got to write it up. Next thing you know, it's 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, and you might get home in time to watch some college football games at night. Um, so, but anyway, if you're that, that's working as a media member. As a fan, it's nice to be able to watch until right up before you go in, and then watch right okay. after you get out too. I think I need to research how to watch TV from Target without actually having a camera. Uh, I know I, I know I can log into my Comcast account yes. and watch TV on my computer. You know, then get an HDMI cord that can plug into your computer to the TV. Hey, so, so, so I can buy a TV and that's how I watch TV in my apartment. So I, I, yeah, you do need a power source. So I bought a thing this summer for my dad's lake house because he didn't have TV service out there. High def television. It's a thing you can hook your phone up to and have your phone's screen be uh, mirrored mm-hmm. on HDTV. So, yes, so you would need to power the television. But if you could provide power to the television and buy one of these things, you yeah. could stream. And Just go into the Watch ESPN app and then plug it. Yeah, that's the way we get it done in the freshman dorms of uh, Virginia Tech. So, so at this point, all the really tech-savvy people out there are just calling us a bunch of idiots because I'm sure they've got it figured out. And well, they probably, they do, but I'll tell you what. For your job this week, EFL subscriber, email me suggestions the best way to have a TV set up. Without giving satellite. Last thing I'll say on this before we switch subjects. If if DirecTV and ESPN could do a red zone channel for college football games, I think that would be one of the best inventions ever. 
So we'll leave it there at that. So we've got a lot coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast, a lot to talk about. Of course, game day is back. Virginia Tech goes to Old Dominion this weekend with a visit uh, taking on the Monarchs in the 757s. We'll break down that game. We'll talk about the impact of Virginia Tech going into the Norfolk area, playing a game there. What does that mean for the Hokie fans there and the recruiting? We'll get into that in just a little bit. Plus, we'll have your uh, Tech Sideline poll question of the week, which got a lot of love on Twitter, and basically the question was, which opponent will give Virginia Tech more fits or be a tougher game down the road, Liberty or Old Dominion, two programs that just turned FBS? We will talk about that. So, of course, TSL Podcast each and every week is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at one 800 680-7031 or email us at info at fisherlegal.com. Okay, so before we get going, a couple of notes. Uh, we're still having issues with the levels on Chris's mic when you listen to the podcast in certain ways. Uh, simply haven't had time to do it. I'm really close to just pulling the trigger on buying a recorder that has four uh, separate mic inputs. I think that'll solve the problem. But I think if you're having difficulty like listening on your phone speaker or whatever, as we've talked about, just put it in a set of earbuds, headphones, uh, try to Bluetooth stream it to something, listen to it on your computer. Those, those generally all work well. But, again, that's something we, we've kind of got as an ongoing issue. And the next thing we have to do is the uh, song lyric in my Twitter profile. Got it up right here. Will Stewart's in his Twitter pile, at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. I live my life on a layer of ice. Yes, so... Uh, when we first started doing these, Chris Coleman said, you ever going to have any quotes that aren't from the 80s? And then, yes, last week we did uh, Along, Came, Along Came Mary or Along Comes Mary by the Association, which is from the 60s, and that's what led us into the podcast okay, today. <laughs> this is more recent, I will say that. It's not from the 80s, and it's not backwards either. So it's since the 80s, but still, you were you were a youngin. Um, and this is, uh, And when I put that on Twitter, nobody guessed it. So they either didn't Google it or they didn't know it off the top of their head. So it is a little off the beaten path. We will uh, get to that towards the end of the podcast. Plus, uh, towards the end of the podcast, two interesting things. Reese Davis made headlines today on Get Up This Morning, ESPN's morning show, talking about Virginia Tech. We'll talk about that later. And today is the nine-year anniversary of the miracle in Blacksburg. Tyrod did it, Mikey. Tech over Nebraska at Lane Stadium. I want to get your thoughts on that later in the podcast. <laughs> My thought, never leave the game early. <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. Let's transition to this, though, guys. Of course, Virginia Tech is coming off of an uh, unexpected bye week. Of course, the cancellation against East Carolina we talked about last week. But I feel like we can all have a different perspective on what we talked about on last week's podcast to now, especially hearing Coach Fuente's comments at, at the press conferences and TTL about how he and his staff and the team approached the unexpected bye week. So, Will, starting with you, do you think we'll see more positives out of that game being canceled as the season continues to progress? I think so. I think I think people who are prone to worry are worried that, uh, that the layoff would knock Virginia Tech off their path. They've, they've looked pretty good. Yeah, they've got some issues. They're young. They've had some arm tackling issues going on. They've actually put the football on the ground a lot. They've only just lost one of them. 
Um, but I think people were worried that the momentum would be slowed down because, again, one of the things I've written is, to me, most impressive is the way Virginia Tech came out ready to play against Florida State, came out ready to play against William and Mary. What if they don't look like they're ready to play against Old Dominion? Is that because they had the week off? So I, I think if you're going to worry, that's what people worry about. Me, man, this can only be a good thing because, as we've talked about a lot recently and I've written about, back when the college football regular season was 11 games, there were two buys built into the schedule. Now it's 12 games and there's only one buy built into the schedule. And it's just, the more I think about it, the more I think it's just a good thing to, to have that extra buy. And, and as we've talked about, it's specifically good for Ricky Walker. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I, I despise the, the 12 games in 13 weeks. Uh, I don't like the conferences on balance 12 games and 70 games in, in, in 30 weeks. I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of going back to the 11-day schedule. We're all enough to come to the month. But I, I, I don't think it's right that we're going to talk to players that they're going to have a game on their schedule year. They get cheated out of the, the full benefits of the bye week. Of a true two-week-long bye week. Absolutely. You know, instead they played uh, two games in 12 days instead of uh, 14, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, so, you, so you get one 12 day, but it's not the same as 14. It's just not quite the same thing. You're right. And especially considering so many times it seems like a Thursday game against Fort Tech. Well, and speaking of injuries, and you talked about Ricky Walker, if Virginia Tech had to play East Carolina last week, how many guys, especially talking about Ricky Walker here, do you think would have been able to go against the Pirates? Uh, I mean, I think they could have gone probably. That, that's what we were told. Yeah. Walker did play, uh, but I, I, I don't know if they would play. So what we've heard from Coach Fuente over the last uh, couple of days or so at the press conference, a couple of things that I've taken away from and I want to get your thoughts about what they keyed in on on this unexpected bye week. Number one, it seems like the snapping um, has been addressed, uh, the center to quarterback exchanged, and that that has really been a, a positive of this bye week, being able to focus in on that. And two, uh, and something that's interesting is punt returning. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but we might be seeing some different guys rotating to return punts this coming week against Old Dominion. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing competition. The staffing issues they've had during the game kind of came out of the blue because Floyd hasn't had issues in practice. So they could be practicing like crazy over the last week and not have any issues at all. That doesn't mean he won't pop up in a game again because he wasn't having staff issues in practice before. Except, and I don't know, you know, I haven't had a chance to really watch the press conferences and, and, and read a whole lot. Except now they have the benefit of game film. And they run the game film with him, and they say, what do you think happened here? Jackson also said that uh, Josh Jackson did something yesterday, but Fort was kind of interesting. Oh, that's absolutely. Justin Fuente chose when Jackson said that. <laughs> the, the Justin Fuente eye roll when it comes to injuries. Exactly. Um, it, it cracks me up that he puts Bud Foster out there and Charlie Wiles out there. If you ask those guys, they'll talk about injuries. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the offensive line. I, I feel like out of all, we talked about a lot of individual positions throughout the first couple of episodes this season, but I feel like we haven't given a lot of attention to the offensive line. A group that returned three of five starters from a year ago, and really, you know, I'm a firm believer if you can have a strong offensive line, good things are going to happen to you regardless of who your skill positions are. So give me um, your grades on the offensive line so far, and maybe some players who have stood out most that we weren't really talking about in the offseason. Well, I think uh, a few of these losses are very good. They haven't been dominant. I think they've been very good. And especially, and you scale that when you consider the fact that two of my five projected starters within the season have not been started. Uh, I did not expect Christian Dorsak to definitely start at the left tackle. I thought that would be tied at uh, Danzy. You know, I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah. uh, well, he was going to play left tackle in the Russian club, and there were more experience there, but he was not. Um, and I thought the younger Clinton was going to start at left guard with Kyle Strong on the inside of the And we haven't seen that, other than have seen, you know, Chance Cloud in the first game. Um, so I, considering that, that, you know, 40% of my projected players have not actually been played, and I think it's been good. Uh, the really defeating thing to me is the rotation. I think they played nine guys in the first quarter against William Mary last week. You saw DeAndre Sanders in that ball. You saw this team with Smith. You know, you saw John Harris in the win. You saw James uh, in the win with that tackle. Well, basically, you saw every, almost every position rotated with the exception of right tackle, where obviously Mosman had that last ball and he can't get fired. But I do think the depth is, is much, much better this year. And you know, one thing I love storylines in the offseason this year, it seems like there's a great relationship that Josh Jackson has with Kyle Chung. Um, and I, I personally love, I get a kick out of how much they talk about Fortnite in uh, press conferences and how that almost seems like a little bonding experience with the guys in the team. But uh, you, you talk about important relationships you have to have on the field. Obviously, a head coach to the quarterback, offensive coordinator. But Quarterback to uh, offensive line, that is a really important um, – you have to have great chemistry there, and it seems like that that has been established very early on in the season. I think so. You know, they were better in South Angeles this year. Um, you know, Josh Jackson is in his third year in the program as a redshirt sophomore. Obviously, we've got a senior in the staff, a senior in Nightman, Beyonce Tones, a redshirt senior. So we've got a lot of guys with, with experience in that whole operation. And it's personally, that kind of has to be – Sean Clark back inside and play center more with Stanton, or maybe even the Steven Smith at Buck Bard. But right now, you know, I don't think that should be an issue either way. Uh, you know, and that's the point at which they have played the East Carolina game, just to get those guys more reps. But on the whole, I do think it's good because we've got a bye week. But, you know, this should be another week upcoming where Sean Clark should feel pretty confident in rotating some players right now. So I've been on a mission uh, the last couple of minutes. I've actually gotten up and wandered around the office, and I did find a pronunciation guide, and it says Danzy. So for Silas Danzy. Now that's in the uh, the Maroon book, also known as the 2018 Football Media Guide. Well, you know, I was watching, uh, a side note, I was watching the uh, Jets pregame um, uh, analysis on their mm-hmm. social media. And they, <laughs> yeah, I do have to give credit to Will Stewart and all my Dolphins. They did take it to my boys this week. But they, they're calling them Tarot again. I mean, it just feels like people that aren't here at Tech, it's Tarot is catching up. Anyways, we have spent a lot of time <laughs> on Tyrod and Tarot. So I promise you, listeners, we will not go down that road. But hey, he is in action tomorrow against the Jets on Thursday Night Football, in case anyone um, is wondering. 
want to shift our attention to Old Dominion because there are so many storylines, Will, that I feel like this game has, and a lot of it doesn't even surround the game being uh, played on the field itself. The fact that Virginia Tech is going to the Tidewater region and playing a game there, the fact that they're going to play a non-Power 5 team at their stadium in the state of Virginia in a recruiting region that has been so good to Virginia Tech in its program history out of everything that's surrounding this game, what is the number one storyline in your eyes? How tiny their stadium is. It's, it's, I thought it was high 20s, low 30s. It's actually like 20,000 in some seats. And read an article this week. Uh, they're getting ready to put uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to the game, and I'm glad, too, because I get a chance to see Foreman Field at, at SB Ballard Stadium. I get a chance to see it before they put $65 million into it. They're going to – I think after this football season, they may have actually already done some of the work. Uh, I don't remember every detail from the article I read. Uh, they're going to do a lot of work on their stadium after this season. So this gives me a chance to see it before they do that work. And uh, the article I read made mention of porta-potties and small seats and all sorts of things. So it, it really didn't paint the stadium in, a, in an encouraging light. And I know when this series was first announced, uh, you know, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. This is going to be a lot of, a lot of trips to that stadium over the course of the next 10 or 12 years. It's not like Virginia Tech's going once and then not going back. There were a lot of complaints about it being a high school stadium and why is a team of Virginia Tech's caliber going to play in a high school stadium. And I thought, well, that's harsh. It's, they're kind of right. It's really just a little larger than a high school stadium. I've been to games at uh, Pulaski County Stadium. I can't speak for these days, but I went back in the mid-90s when they were winning state championships, and uh, Shane Graham was there. That's and right. Yeah. That, that place would hold ten or 12,000, you know, and, and you're talking a field, in Foreman Field, that's not a whole lot bigger than that. So uh, although high school field sounds harsh, I don't think it's too far off, you know. So I'm looking forward to seeing it and getting an impression of that and seeing, you know, uh, how uh, – um, how many tech fans are there and all that sort of stuff. Such an old stadium. And one of its pictures and its junior profile is a postcard from 1946 at the stadium. So that's a stadium that built a long time ago. Um, so yeah, I'm sure and it lacks a lot of modern amenities that the stadium needs. And it's all the way they want to be serious about their football stadium. I mean, they don't have to put money into it. They have to have stadiums and things like that. To me, it's about the fan base and the Virginia Tech fans in the area. I know there are several, a lot of subscribers and who are probably from the Tidewater region, but several have been very outspoken on the boards about how high excited they are that the Virginia Tech is coming to them. And, you know, Justin Fuente noted on Monday, he said last year they got to go and play in front of fans in Northern Virginia. West Virginia game referring to? Yeah, in Maryland, they get taken there. Uh, and they get to do that this year for fans in the 7-5-7. You know, it, it's not me to drop. Um, you know, if you go to a Clemson game or a, or a South Carolina game, you're right in the middle of South Carolina, right? And if, if, if you're playing in, you're playing against the state, I mean, I guarantee you all those fans are coming within a two-hour radius, and there's just a ton of people in that area 
but it's, really, it's not the case in that. So you can get them in many cases and start in four or five hours away to that, so it's, you know, which is a major, major effort. And so it takes a game on the road every now and then and going away from that. I think it's good to reach out to the game. So having said that, I think Virginia Tech's ticket allocation was only about 2000 out of, out of the 20000 Don't quote me on that. Uh, typically, uh, road games you get in, in a in a regular ACC stadiums, you'll get three, 4,000 tickets. I think Virginia Tech only got a couple thousand. So, yeah, I'm going to look and see how many Virginia Tech fans are there. The game that follows the week after that is the Duke game, and we're used to seeing Virginia Tech play at Duke, and Duke's stadium is close to 50% Hokie fans. You know, so... Uh, there are a lot of tech fans in that area, so I want to see how they show up and how they represent. I think it's, uh, you should be able to tell because it's white out there. Yes, it's a white right. out there. So those of you fans are going to wear their white, and you see a lot of moving lines in that area. I want to emphasize the point you just said, though, about the commute that the Tidewater Hokies, the 757 Hokies, have to Blacksburg every week because – you know, I think about it for me. I, I don't love my two-hour, 45-minute drive back to Rockville, Virginia. I always think that's long. I mean, imagine on game days, you're getting up. Let's say it's a noon kick. Okay, you're and if you want to tailgate and you want to get there in time, you're leaving at either you're coming Friday night, spending the night in the hotel room, and then leaving right after the game on set, or you're getting up at 4 or 5 a.m. Yeah, you know, it depends on what part of the tide water you're from. My favorite place to go in the tide water is... is there's a place called Yorktown, and I like to go to the Yorktown Water Park. And there's a place called the Yorktown Park that I really like. And I can get there in pretty much exactly four hours. But that's, you know, taking a 81 to 64 going to Charlottesville, Richmond, and right down the peninsula. Right. And that's in a place the entire way. And that's in the northern part of the Clinton Park Seven. And you get down into the southern part, into Newport News, and then go across the water into Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, and then. Five to five and a half hours. Five to five and a half hours, exactly. That's a long time. I mean, we think about it. If you want to get a hotel room, and that's a day trip, I mean, you're spending a lot of time in the car, and that just takes a lot of time to do that. It's a lot of, I mean, again, for the Clemson game, I mean, you have to buy, I mean, think about the Richmond Hokie, so to speak. They're in a position where you can go home after the games, regardless if it's an 8 o'clock kick. I mean, yeah, you're going to begin back at 2 a.m., but you're in a position where you almost have to buy a hotel either on the Friday night or the yeah. Saturday night. These days you're getting doused by hotels in many cases because they're two-night minimum. Right. And they're jacking up the prices on game weekends. So it's an incredible financial effort if you're a fan from that area. I, you know, I'm not exaggerating here. I've seen two-night minimums at hotels in the area for the Notre Dame game for $600 a night. How much is a ticket, would you say? One, a single ticket to Notre Dame, how much do you think you're spending on that? Uh, I forget what the total value is. On my yeah. And, and with food, and, and, I mean, that's almost like $1,000. Well, I think it was 400 Yeah, we, we went all the way up to 400 for seven home games. We're not. But anyway, so one night in a hotel for another game is more expensive than one season ticket. I mean, go look on StubHub right now. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous for that ticket cost. So, 
Will, I do want to ask you this, though. I mean, what an opportunity. We talk so much about, and you can tell when Justin Fuente was hired as the head coach, that he really wanted to go hard at in-state recruiting but go right to the 757, just as Coach Beamer did, uh, did so well bringing those players in. And what an opportunity Virginia Tech has to go play in the 757 for these kids to, to go to that game and to say, hey, Virginia Tech's less than an hour away this weekend. Big deal, not a big deal. How do you think the recruiting-wise this will pay out for Virginia Tech? Not a big deal. Um, one of the things we were told is that it, it's not as if Virginia Tech is going to have 25 recruits from the 757 hanging out on the Virginia Tech sideline. It's not that sort of thing. They're not going to meet with recruits. They're not going to host recruits in any way. They're not going to accommodate. Because it, it's an away game. Right. You know, they're, they're not allowed to. Um, none of that kind of stuff is going to be happening. So you find yourself thinking things like, oh, yeah, but, but newspaper and TV will be covering it. <laughs> Come on, man. You know, I, I have teenage kids. You know, they, they don't look at regular television and newspapers. So really what you want to ask yourself is how much coverage is this game getting in the 757 on Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram? Oh, very you know? true. And the answer is, you know, not a whole lot. Some, but uh, So I just, I'm one of those people that kind of poo-poo's the whole thing about the, about the idea that Virginia Tech going there gets them a recruiting advantage. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it does in the 1990s and early to mid-2000s, but in the modern landscape of recruiting, I don't think it does. When you talk about building the brand, they're built by winning football. Carolina's close. Here's a thought that just popped into my mind, and I'm sure there's many different directions we can go in this, but Will, you bring up a great point about this day and age for you know kids my age and, and, and the teenagers. How do you think social media and in a way like ESPN and media that have transformed, like Snapchat has an ESPN, uh, like you can go watch an ESPN video that's not like Real Sports Center, but it's like a five-minute get your news and entertainment. How has that changed the recruiting landscape, would you say? Man, uh, I have no idea. I can't comprehend it. Um, so previously, you recruited by, and this is from the Jim Cavanaugh Bible of Recruiting, you built relationships with high school coaches, and you got to know the areas and the high schools and the players and, to some extent, their families and that sort of thing. And that was how you recruited back then. It still didn't matter. Television and newspapers, I don't think, mattered much back then. It was about relationship building. Now, um, I think that, you know, Chris used the word hype when he was talking. And however you define hype, um, so if these recruits are watching Snapchat and they're watching a five-minute uh, ESPN video about college football, what's on that video? Is it more endless talk of Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson? If so, that's not doing Virginia Tech any good. You right. know? And it's actually not a good thing because back then, in, in you know, 20 years ago, you know, yes, those schools had a brand. And they had a brand that was larger than Virginia Tech. They still do. But they also had to come into the area and recruit and build a relationship. 
Now, man, they're getting an awful lot of help from channels such as that. So I don't know that I really answered your question, and I don't know that I can really answer your question because I'm not that age and I don't, don't look at that stuff. Right. Well, I, I think there used to be a lot of pride in high school kids about their local high school. Kids that played for GW Danville were proud to play for GW Danville back when they were winning state championships. Phoebus, Hampton. They, now, there was a little bit of transferring that went on in and out of Hampton. But not not to the... These days, the kids uh, are much more responsible for getting themselves out there and building their own brands. So they, they go to camps. They go to a lot of camps. Camps which didn't really exist back then or were different. Um, they put their own videos on Huddle and, and that's YouTube. where I was getting to. That's online. They that wasn't the, there. They have years their ago. own Twitter account where they make sure to go on there and say, blessed to receive an offer from. You wonder how many schools have offered a kid? Just go look at the media portion of his Twitter account. Control F the word blessed and count the number of times. <laughs> if a kid's got 18 offers, you're going to find the word blessed 18 times. That is accurate. So the, these kids are all building their own brands and they're bypassing the high school coaches. And everybody talks about seven-on-seven. Seven. Eh, that, that might have been a thing three, four, five years ago where kids, instead of playing for their high school coach and only their high school coach, they were also going and playing for seven-on-seven teams. But, but I would say that this self-responsible uh, brand building that goes on is more important than, say, playing seven-on-seven seven football. I'll, I'll, I want to say this, too. Think about when a, a guy comes to visit Virginia Tech football. They have an official visit. And I, I think so much credit goes to, and I want to make sure I say his name, Thomas, is it Gary? The uh, head recruiter for Virginia Tech football. I mean, he is great about being on social media. I mean, he, he's fantastic at what he does. But think about it, When a guy comes in, how many times does a new recruit put on a jersey when they're at a recruit, right? And they all, But here, why do they put on jerseys? Because they want to put it on social media. Going to your point about Bless, they want to put it out there. And to Will's point, it's all about building the brand. And that was not the case before Twitter and social media in 2010. So I think it's an interesting – I feel like coaches, when they have these official visits, they have to not necessarily change what they do, but they have to stay current with how things are changing in the world to make sure that they can get a player. I 
Um, definitely got a little bit off top. But I think it is a great point, just talking about recruiting and everything, how, how the times have changed. Reminder, the TSL podcast is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm each and every week. Virginia's trusted DUI in traffic defense firm. Their number, 1-800-680-7031. Looking at the game itself this week, we touched on all the storylines outside of the game, but... Um, Old Dominion, this is a team who turned FBS in 2013. Obviously, their uh, biggest season was when they went 10-3. and They won the Bahamas Bowl. They've had some success in the FBS level. They're 0-3 right now. They got blown out by Liberty at the beginning of the season. Uh, this is definitely, I, I, I don't, you know, I was saying this before we went on. I mean, it would have been really neat to have seen that 10-3 and team play this Virginia Tech team, but Two programs coming in at different points in the season right now. I mean, and he's good. He actually had a couple plays. Uh, he, he's he's talented. Yeah, there you go. Better word. Better word. Um, he has six touchdowns and 11 interceptions last year. This oh. year he's, he's only completing 51% of the time. Um, but, uh, he, I think they made a mistake in part of him last year. It's not like he got into a bowl game. They weren't five and seven. Uh, if you think about it right now, half, he's going to be 19 when his career is halfway done. Uh, when his career is over, he will barely be old enough to buy a beer. And that, that's just that, that's too early to be ending a college football career. You can't have been there for a little bit and develop. But, you know, I, I think Bobby Rollins and his road job building that program from scratch. But uh, I think the, his main, main fault, I guess you would say, is that he did not have a quarterback ready to replace David Washington a couple of years ago when, when they went 10 and 3, Washington into 31 touchdown passes and five interceptions. And, and since then, the quarterback, I mean, 41 touchdown passes, 5 interceptions compared to 6 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. That's the difference between 10 and 3 and 5 and 7. In fact, they were probably lucky to go 5 and 7. Yeah, I was surprised when you said they won yeah. 5 games exactly. last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, uh, it's just, uh, they also won 2 of those games before Williams became the start of Florida. Right. So, they've only won 3 games since he became the starter. So, I guess that makes them, uh, oh, goodness, uh, Three and ten. Three, three and ten. ten. Yeah. But will you know that, regardless of their record, Old Dominion, they're going to come out with a, I mean, just I'm sure with so much energy to maybe play the biggest home game in Old Dominion football history this Saturday. High, it has to be the highest ranked opponent ever coming in at number thirteen for Virginia Tech. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris has me at a bit of a disadvantage right now because he's in the process of writing his preview. I haven't seen it yet. The only thing I've done is write up the roster card, and I have to enter the, enter the starting lineups for each school. And I was struck by, in particular, uh, Old Dominion's defensive line is all seniors and redshirt seniors. They're starting defensive line. That's got to be worth something, and yet they're still 0-3. You know, and, and I don't. I don't know where the strength of their team is. Where is it? Yeah, that's a good point. The first seventeen is overall on defense. Yeah, but they start five more than they on offense. You know, I just think I don't think they have quite as much talent as they had a couple of years ago. You know, when you're, when you're recruiting those marginal prospects, it's, it's really hard to, to to know to be able to evaluate them, and, and it's hard to tell which ones are going to be which ones could be. 
you should be recruiting if you want to win 10 games, and the ones you probably should stay away from because there's just not a lot to separate them, and then you watch them play at the high school level. It's very, very difficult. And when you're over many, you're not going to go out and find four stars, five stars, kids that everybody knows is good. You have to be able to evaluate those guys with, and there's just not a lot of difference between them, you know? And I think they probably made, probably made some mistakes there. And also, to me, when I was watching the highlights from the Charlotte, and I have not watched the highlights from the games of the Liberty or Florida International, but they look kind of slow defensively. We did have a one fan chime in with a question. Shelton Moss, which kind of leads me into my next question as well, uh, wants to know, how will the bye week affect the team's play? Talking about Virginia Tech, any rust or a much-needed break for the Hokies? I don't know if you can accurately answer that question. I mean, if they come out and beat the clock off at ODU 60 to nothing, then everybody's going to be like, man, that's why we really helped you. And if if they come out sloppy, then people are going to say, oh, that's stupid by week, they're lucky. But I don't think you can't prove that either way. We're talking about a young team and performances that have been flawed. Right. Um, That's college football. That's that's college football. So you won't be able to put a a definite reason on Virginia Tech's performance this coming week, whatever it is. To me, I I look in the grand scheme of things. Even if they play terrible this week and still win, I I would still consider the body to get them because it's got guys that make you walk a little bit healthier. And and I think it helps the young team to sit back and get three extra days of one month to extra spring practices. So, you know, if you you talk about... you know, Frank used to always say that teams improve the most between game one and game two, and, and not everybody on our message board believes that. Well, I I think it was your coach, and you know, there, there are a little nuances that a coach notices, and I think it's accurate from that standpoint. But I think it's really hard to get better when that when between week one and week two it's just five days. Well, I agree with that, but you know, the point I was going to make was Virginia Tech is playing so many young players. Uh, to get two uh, two games worth of film, and and then have a chance to sit back and look at it, and I'm talking about the players, not the coaches. Um, that's got to be of some value. If, if I was a young guy and I was thrown into the grind and I played seven games in seven weeks, I wouldn't have a chance to take a breath. Well, the young guys got a chance to take a breath and actually watch themselves on film. So, for example, let's watch Zachariah Hoyt. Does he play better? Does he truly snap better? you got to figure if he does, you know, finger issues notwithstanding, then it was probably valuable for him. It probably so. And let's look at Caleb Farr. You know, if I'm Brian Mitchell, I have three extra days of practice with Caleb Farr without having to worry about preparing him for the next game, as in, here's the game plan, here's how you're going to align, here's the techniques for the music speaker, et cetera, et cetera. I'm using that three days and I'm just like, okay, Caleb, we're going to work on perimeter practice. Yeah, you know, because... These guys do almost, well, they do very little tackling to the ground once the season ends, between the end of the season and the beginning of the next season. And it gets back to what I said. You've suddenly got two games worth of film where you can show him, here's why you missed that tackle against Cam Akers. You didn't go low. You didn't get across his body. You didn't wrap up. And that, that's very valuable, and you might not have really had the time to do that. And you can show him that even if you have an upcoming game, but you can't really dedicate as much practice time to fix it because you're, you're preparing for the, the upcoming opponent. There was no upcoming opponent, but therefore you can actually show him that on tape, and then you can apply it from the field that we are doing that. Well, last thing I want to touch on before we transition from this game itself, the spread is currently at 28.5 points. Virginia Tech road favorites, do they cover? I am not a betting man, but I would bet on Virginia Tech to cover. 
you know, we're going to be in 52 games, and we're going to be in first season playing at the end of football. And we're going to have an 18-year-old quarterback, a two-thousand quarterback, and we can talk about him a little bit, Elijah Davis, who I wish was playing for the game of And he's still a young, young player, and they're just not playing well. You know, they, they lost to Charlotte. Charlotte lost to Charlotte their program in 2013, I believe, and I think they're in the third year of FBS ball or something like that. And what one... Ten last year, one and eleven, or two and ten. They were really bad last year, and they beat ODB last year. Yeah. You know? So it's it's a fair question to ask if Bobby Wilder's in over his head. I don't think he's in over his head because they were good early in his tenure. I didn't come down to just he hasn't been a, he didn't have a replaceable quarterback. Yeah, but, but we just said he's starting twelve seniors, right? That's right. Mm. And um, and. Not showing signs of life. Not showing, well, you know, I wouldn't say not showing signs of life. You know, they could be there. They lost that Okay. Uh, they lost it by eight to FIU. FIU, that's, is that Butch? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible game day coach, too, so. Hey, quick side note on that thing, but FIU and FAU, their coaches are Butch Davis and Lane Kiffin. I, I would like to play each other. They do, I think, yeah, it every I year. Hey, one thing before we leave this game. Uh, Chris mentioned Elijah Davis. He's actually listed on their ro- ro- roster as Lala, number 12, running back. Watch him. He's a kid out of Lynchburg that uh, a lot of Tech fans wanted Virginia Tech to offer him. Um, Fuente liked him, chose for various reasons not to offer him. I think it was a numbers issue, you know. So I kind of tortured myself with the one that got away. Uh, keep an eye on Lala Davis is actually starting for him. Yeah, he's going to start for him. Uh, he played him a close game last week in the start. I think he was going to go to touchdowns. I think he's going to make time as running back. I'm not so sure he wouldn't be the second most time as a running back. I do think that he's the most part of the back. But at the same time, you're limited to signing 25 guys to the stage, right? Right. And I think that's signing what, 24, 25 after yeah. around that. And they went into signing day thinking they were going to get two other guys, so like, like Anthony Grant. Anthony Grant told us in the second night before signing day, I'm signing with you. And then the next morning, he wakes up and signs with Florida Swift. So you think you're getting a couple more guys and you're going to be actually limited, and all of a sudden they don't sign with you. Yeah. The second when it's too late, a lot of days it's already signed with ODU, but you can't go back and offer him. Yeah. Um, so, I, I so anyway, offered, keep an eye on him. Yeah, keep an eye on him. I would have offered him. He led the nation uh, in rushing last year, the entire country. In high school. In high school. That's incredible. And he had 61 rushing touchdowns, not in his high school career, but last year. <laughs> I want to know how many pass attempts that quarterback had. Because <laughs> if he had two, it was too, too many. <laughs> um, two quick topics real quick. I want to spend about four minutes total on because we've got our Twitter uh, poll question of the week to get to. Uh, first thing, West Virginia jumps Virginia Tech in the AP polls to 12. Hokies remain at 13. Some people are up in arms over that. Thoughts? Does it matter? What do we think? Good point. I look at Notre Dame, they're eight. Are the Virginia Tech overrated at times? They're going to win eight. They haven't scored more than 24 points in a game. Has every one of their games been a one-score game? Yeah, they they beat Michigan by seven. Uh, Ball State 24-12. That's what they scored at the end. I'm sorry. Yeah, 16. Yeah, so in Ball State, they actually lost to Indiana by 28, 28-10. And then the Catholic, they beat Vanderbilt 22-17. So should they be ranked number eight? Well, guess what? Stanford is number seven. They beat UC Davis 30 to 10 this past week. And, and I watched their first game, and it's another one double-A type team. And, and we're not impressive at all. And, and 
So it's okay. It's okay to be number 10 right now. Right. Uh, I do want to keep this in mind, too, that Notre Dame goes to Wake Forest this weekend. I am a believer in Wake Forest. I know they lost to Boston College, so I think it's very tough. Greg Dortch is one of the most explosive players in the ACC. He went to Highland Springs. I covered him in high school when he played Patrick Henry. That dude is unbelievable for Wake Forest. So. I remember that. That was the first weekend he was high. Yeah. And, and didn't Virginia Tech have Khalil Pimpleton at that point in time? Was that the same? Okay. But anyway, I think Notre Dame, that's, that could be a tough game for them at Wake. And then they play Stanford. So, you know, there's so much talk about game day. Both teams for that matchup have a lot of work to do in order for game day to come to Blacksburg. We'll yep. talk about game day in just a minute because... I do want to talk about the ACC quickly. You know, Justin Fuente, they asked him at Tech Talk Live, Laser was asking him what he did this weekend. Did he watch any football? And he said that, you know, he wanted to enjoy it as a fan. But he did say that he was impressed with Boston College. They are ranked inside the top 25 of the AP poll for the first time since 2008. That's a decade. They are in 23. A.J. Dillon is playing unbelievable. I mean, the reigning ACC player of the year. Their quarterback, Fuente, was saying is playing well, too. And then there's Duke at 27, knocking on the door. Very likely that's going to be a top 25 matchup next week. I mean, the ACC, things are, the more ranked opponents that Tech can play, the better, right? Yeah, they said he's been progressing very well with his injury. But I think he's going to be able to back like that. And he's going to be able to strong defensively, even if they're not a good team. Yeah. I, I think they have the pieces for what they need to, to fit their identity to make them an effective football team. Uh, their game against Wake Forest last week was not a place that the court indicated. And it was a couple of special teams touchdowns by Wake Forest. You know, not the special teams touchdowns. Don't no matter, right. The Boston College physically dominated the game. Right. Um, I was about to say that too. I've complained a lot about being bored by playing Boston College, and I'm not. I'm not bored this year. Um, Anthony Brown, the quarterback. I didn't sit and watch the entire weight game, but I did watch parts of it. And and Brown uh, still has a tendency to be. Uh, his, his stats were pretty good. I think he completed something like 65 percent of his passes, but some of them that he didn't complete, he just sailed them way over the receiver's head. But He's got a strong arm. He throws a good spiral, and he threw some really impressive balls against Wake Forest. So I'm, I'm glad that the uh, Boston College game is here this year. I'm happy to stop Is it his third year there? He's actually getting the coach's yeah. third year? Yeah, yeah. So some of his own players, you know, he recruited Dillon. He recruited their quarterback. As it turned out, he was recruiting the D.C. quarterback, Lance Jackson, and he took Josh Jackson. And it turns out he ends up taking the other guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Boston College. But uh, well, I think Luckle is in a situation where, with uh, Steven Avio, because he coached at Temple, you know, he was at Avio's offensive coordinator there. They were both on the same staff together at Florida. These are two guys that have the same 
principles and ideas offensively, and have Ozzie himself as an offensive head coach. And, you know, I, I think that the staff is, the offensive staff is more competitive. You know, Luckily was able to bring in a couple of his own guys, uh, if we can expect. Um, but not all those offensive coaches were guys that he necessarily would have chosen for himself. Um, and I think that that's, that's a key. That's a key right there. I think it's a much he's in a better situation that's conducive to success. Keep in mind, this is a Boston College team that two years ago became the first team in I think ACC history to ever lose every conference game in football and men's basketball in the same just, season. Just two years ago, I believe it was sixteen. Do not quote me on that, but that was very it was recent. recent. It was recent. Yeah, they've done a very good season. I mean. Well, you have a once in a generation for them. Matt Ryan, Ryan you never know. Like Matt yeah. Ryan, and they couldn't even win an ACC championship with Matt Ryan. They had a Luke Keekley and uh, Mark. Yeah, and linebackers. So they had some good players. Um, do you want to touch on this? Uh, a decade ago today, we're recording this on Wednesday, September 19th, uh, 2018. Tyrod did it, Mikey. Tyrod did it, Mikey. My favorite game in my lifetime as a Virginia Tech fan. So I do want to get you, your, your perspective on that 10 years later. Where does that rank in the all-time great Virginia Tech games? You're asking the wrong guy. Um, I was not a happy person that day. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but I did not grasp how good Nebraska's defensive line was. A guy named Nadamakin Sue over there. Sue, and I think Jared Crick. Was Prince of Mukamara on that team at corner? Yeah, they were loaded. Uh, Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini knew how to coach and recruited Yeah. So Virginia Tech struggles that day. I was I was uh, attributing to Virginia Tech. Turns out that uh, uh, excuse me, Nebraska had a, had a great game plan. Their game plan was to rush with the ends and contain Tyrod, and then let Sue cause trouble in the middle. And uh, so I sat in the stands and became increasingly more and more frustrated. And at one point, uh, I wasn't with a lot of my friends that day. At one point, I think uh, the one or two friends I had with me left. So I'm sitting there by myself, and all I'm doing is complaining. And I'm like, you know what, dude? You need to get up and leave. You're not having a good time. You're being a pain in the neck to the people around you. I got up and left. So I missed it. Um, so I'm not qualified to talk about it. I admitted that in my follow-up article and got raked over the coals for it. You know, deservedly so. I don't leave games early anymore, no matter what. Um, so I'm really the one guy to ask. For me, it was like a game I watched on television. Oh, uh, I'll that wow. Uh, and hey, keep in mind, you and many other people. I know many of Tech fans that left early that game. I know people who were in the uh, walking in the tunnels when it and they hear the crowd roar and they raced back out, in. I was out in the, in the in, I was out in lot too, and I, I heard the noise and found out somebody watching the game on their tailgate on the television. So I watched. Pretty much it. described my first game as well, and I left because because he didn't have the ball. I think it was third and seventeen, and they grabbed takes to Tyrell Roberts and wide open. Tyrell hits him right in the head, and Tyrell blocks. So I'm like, are you kidding me? And there's about two minutes left in the game at this point. And that would have put the ball maybe on the Nebraska 40, something like that. You know, in a really good position for the game. I have to get the math in my head. And at that point, I think Roy Halee had about 140. And Roy Halee, that team yeah. was loaded. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, and he hadn't been able to stop Halee all day. And I'm like, there's no way we're getting the ball back. 
Well, it turned out they didn't get the ball to hurry when they lost. Right? They just let their quarterback run it through the yeah. Because they, they didn't want to risk the fumble in the handoff. So Virginia Tech was able to get the ball back. Frank Beamer approves this philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Frank would have handed it off. No, they would have handed it off, I think. But uh, I, understand, I understand being conservative there, but the guy who's rushed for 140 yards, they just give him the ball and they pick up one first down. We're not talking about this moment. And I, I'm yeah. sure that's probably one of the great regrets of both of his careers. He's never really sat down and thought about it like that. It was just... You're the bar you're working for in that situation. Yeah. And as a result, you're going to have to be able to get the ball back. But, and, and still, you know, it's my mentor and my, my friend Bill Roth. That is, so, of course, so many great calls, but that one will forever hold a special place in my heart. What a great call that was. By the way, the third and goal, we can talk about the Danny Cole catch all you want, but that, that's a broken play, essentially, that Tyrod scored. I mean, that was a di- that was Dyrell in the end zone. So, but what I just talked about was exactly, if you go back and watch that particular play, you will see Nebraska's defensive game plan that day in action. The defensive ends come up and play contain. They, do, they don't actually try to get past the tackles. And, and Sue eventually gets to Tyrod in the middle. And we have a great picture that uh, our photographer, who was confined to shooting from the stands back then, he has a great picture of the moment that Tyrod's releasing that ball. Sue is hanging on him. He's, right. actually, he's actually got his jersey. You know, and to me, that's what's so great about that play. And then it's a great catch by Tyrell. You know, yeah, everybody talks about Danny Cole's catch. But I think that the... The game-winning catch was a better play, much more impressive. I think myself for leaving that game early. That was back in an era where, whenever something good happened to Virginia Tech in a big game, I wasn't in attendance, <laughs> and I was always there when something bad happened. Yeah, I'd drop it all those four-way ball games and they would lose to Georgia. You sound like my dad. He's every, the same. Every ACC championship game I went to, we lost. Every time we've won an ACC championship, I have not been in the <laughs> uh, So, you know, it was just back then where I'm just like, I don't ever see us doing anything besides these teams that lose completely off. So I'm frustrating and I'm mad and I was lost. So as I got out of the stadium, things started going down. So I guess we should be thanking you in Probably hindsight. Did, yeah. Much more to do that than I do want to get to our Twitter poll question of the week because this got a lot of feedback um, on Twitter. And I, I, first of all, I appreciate everybody uh, chiming in. We had over 600 votes, so this was the most um, we've ever had for a poll question this week, people chiming in. And the question I had was, with Old Dominion and Liberty both recently moving from FCS to FBS, which team will be more dominant over the next 10 seasons? Both are current and future Tech opponents. 610 votes, 52% Liberty, 48% Old Dominion. And I want to chime in on what some of the fans say. Jerry says Old Dominion is in the middle of a recruitment hotbed. Um, Walt says as long as neither team, neither one of them joins the Power 5 Conference, why should Virginia Tech fans care? I mean, he, he has a point there. Um, Liberty cares more, is what Bo has to say. Jeff says ODU will need a coaching change to go to the next level. Dallas says I voted Liberty because they have the money from the online school to spend major money. Ding, ding, ding. John says I voted ODU for two reasons. They will probably have better success recruiting based on their location and being in a conference with better television coverage and bowl tie-ins. So, uh, I'm going to start with you here on Chris, because I have a couple of thoughts too, but I think that the way this poll... 52% to 48% Liberty. I think Liberty's the answer to this question. Yeah, I, I, 
Adley High School. The one where it got de- depleted by yeah. Grimsley. So I think, I don't think 757 is what it was. I think a lot of, I think it's kind of like Texas. A lot of Texas is getting it like that. But, uh, you look at the Big 12 and the entire Big 12 bases they're recruiting off Texas players, and yet somehow nobody in that league can play defense. Uh, I just think, uh, I think Texas players read their front clippings a little too much, and I think. Yeah, we're not talking like uh, they're, they're, it's not like their recruiting radius is South Florida. You know, Miami built their program on just putting a fence up around South Florida and back in the 80s and getting a lot of South Florida kids. The talent isn't that dense in the 757. You can't build an entire program on it. God knows Frank Beamer almost did, you know, but uh, this, day, this day and age you can't do that in that area. And I go to the point, too, that Liberty right now has so much going for that university with their online classes, their enrollment continues to grow. I went and called a softball game at their softball complex last year, and I know there are some people who think that is nicer than Team USA's facility. I mean, it was fun. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They had – I could go on and on about this press box, how nice this feels. Well, I mean – there's just so much going for them. And, it, and think about it, we talked earlier about the recruiting. They've got great um, great sponsors. They've got great facilities. I don't they're, see. They're in Central Virginia. They're right in the middle of everything. 29 days right through that, that city. You know, they're less than an hour from Danville. They're a couple hours from Greensboro if they want to do a food there. They're, what, an hour and a half, two hours from Richmond. Right. They're just three hours from, from D.C. They're just two to three hours from the East Coast. I mean, it's such a centrally located place that uh, not really extremely close to everything, but they're close to away from anything either. Yeah. Uh, in a way, they have a lot of the same advantages that UVA has, except UVA hasn't been able to take advantage of it. So the reason I ask this question, of course, is because Virginia Tech will play both of these teams coming up a lot in the next decade, especially Old Dominion. But Tech, keep in mind, folks, Virginia Tech goes to Liberty, goes to Liberty to start the 2021 season. It's my senior year. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to go to that. So, again, just just showing how, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Actually, I think you mean the 20. Is it 20? 20? It's 2022. I'm sitting here looking at future schedules. My bad. My fifth year of college. <laughs> yes, there we go. My red shirt senior year. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, well, thank you guys so much for chiming in on that Twitter poll question. We'll do those each and every week. 
And thank you to those who submitted for our uh, questions, our mailbag for the podcast. All right, time to get to Will Stewart's Twitter bio. The lyric that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was, I live my face on a layer of ice. I live my life on a layer of ice. Oh, I missed, I'm sorry. I live my life on a layer of ice. That is a lyric from a song called Martini Time by the Reverend Horton Heat, huh. which is a band that uh, was around in the, in the mid-90s. I, I, I probably bought that album in 1996, 97, around in there. I don't know why I bought that album. I, I think the actual song, It's Martini Time, was a hit of, of some caliber. Uh, I, I do remember seeing Reverend Horton Heat, seeing the band uh, very briefly on the Drew Carey show, which was a big oh, sitcom back then. Yeah. That's right. So I, w- I would recommend that album. Uh, like I said, you're talking about 1996-1997. The band is Reverend Horton Heat, and the album is Martini Time, and that, of course, is the song, yeah. the, the title song off the album, and that, that lyric is from that song. Uh the rest of the album, I don't know how you classify these guys. I don't know what's meant by the term rockabilly. You know, it's uh, maybe they're rockabilly. It's, it's a lot of hard-driving rock and roll. But there are also a few songs on there that uh, where they show a pretty good sense of humor, including one song that uh, speaks of, of cowboy love kind of along the lines of Brokeback Mountain before there was Brokeback Mountain. Right. But, but it's really a comedy song. Uh, so uh, think about it, pick it up, check it out on YouTube if you want to kind of see it. And uh, so that, that's my pitch for them. So I guess we'll be starting next week, next week's show with uh, a little bit of music from It's Martini Time. Looking forward to it. We'll have that each and every week for you, the uh, lyric from Will Stewart's Twitter bio. Don't forget to check him out on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. And Chris, your handle? Chris Coleman TSL. You're making it easy. He is, uh, he is not the Minnesota mayor, Chris I'm Coleman. Not the Minnesota mayor. Or the serial killer. I'm not the manager of the Wells National Soccer Team. So the next time Wells loses to England, do not blame me. I have a all Love it. Love it. Um, last thing, TechSideline.com this week. What content do we have on for our viewers, or our, our readers? Well, because of this podcast, we're going to have a nice preview of the old and game tomorrow. You can almost all the Q&A. And tomorrow we'll do and uh, we are going to run, if it's not already up by the time this podcast goes live, I am running a, an article about Drive for 25 Day next Tuesday. If you are not a member of the Hokie Club, that is your day to sign up. So a lot of the, the Drive for 25 stuff, they said they want to get the 25,000 Hokie Club members. Um, but yet the focus ever since then in, in talking to Hokie Club people has been how much money are they raising for scholarships? So, whereas I thought the original focus was to get to 25,000 members, a lot of the discussion, and that was announced in December of 2016, a lot of the discussions in almost two years since then has been about scholarship money and, and how much are we raising for scholarships. The Drive for 25 day is all about just adding new members. You can literally join the Hokie Club for 25 bucks. So, what they want you to do on that day, and it runs for 25 hours from uh, noon on Tuesday, September 25th to 1 p.m. on Wednesday, September 26th. Just join the Hokie Club. So come to TechSideline.com. We will have an article up about here's your link to go join the Hokie Club. Follow Hokie Sports and Hokie Club on uh, Twitter. They'll They'll be having contests every hour. But it literally, folks, it's about if you, even if you live in Egypt and you watch Virginia Tech on TV at 3 in the morning, Take 25 bucks, take 100 bucks, take 200 bucks, and join the Hokie Club. 
And there's also kind of all kinds of information about uh, there are matching gifts being provided that day. Um, you can donate sports-specific. Virginia Tech has 22 sports. And if you want to, you can just give some money to one of the sports. Each sport has matching gifts available up to $5,000 total. So that's $110,000 available there for matching gifts. Mihol, I'm not even sure how to pronounce Mihol's last name. I think it's Sangani, member of the Virginia Tech Board of Visitors. He and his wife have pledged $250,000 matching donations. So the more Hokie fans turn out and join the Hokie Club, and oh, by the way, it's also for current Hokie Club members that day. Any money donated that day specifically through the links provided will be matched up to $250,000. That's awesome. That's a total of $360,000 matching gifts. So if tech fans step up and donate $360,000, you know, providing it meets all the criteria and, and matching and everything, Virginia Tech could raise $720,000 in one day for athletics. That's a big deal. So if you're not a Hokie Club member, join up that day. If you are a Hokie Club member, just pick your favorite sport. Or you can also donate to the Hokie Scholarship Fund. So anyway, we'll have an article about that uh, later on today and check that out. Looking forward to it. Again, that's all at techsideline.com. Lastly, do want to give a shout-out before we sign off to Reese Davis, host of College Game Day, because uh, this morning he was on uh, Get Up, ESPN show, which I love because Mike Greenberg's one of my all-time favorite go-to guys, said that his favorite College Game Day venue is none other than Virginia Tech. So how about that? Hey, <laughs> Listen, Chris Fowler tweeted after the Florida State win about the Notre Dame game, and then Reese saying this. I think Tech, if everybody can take care of their own business, good chance game day is going to be here for Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame is going to take care of their business. Where is that Stanford game? Uh, that's not Notre Dame. Still. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Who knows? I'm, I don't know. I have a feeling Notre Dame is going to drop down. I just don't know why. Yeah, I, I hope not. I hope not. We'll knock on wood here so we can yeah. get a. Uh, Get game band. But this has been a great uh, Tech Sideline podcast for the week going in to the Old Dominion game. It's game week, folks. Again, make sure you're staying with us. TechSideline.com, at TechSideline on Twitter and Facebook for all of your latest hokey needs. Of course, TSL Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm each and every week. Call 1-800-680-7031. That's going to do it. Guys, enjoy the game. And I will head down there. Enjoy your weekend, Chris. And we'll talk to you guys next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Bye.